Welcome back to the Cost of Caring podcast, where we talk about the mental, relational, physical, and financial costs of caregiving. Cost of Caring is presented by Givers, a savings and support platform that automates access to benefits programs and reimbursements for families who want to save money on caregiving. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Today, we're talking to Evelyn Piper, who is the evidence strategy lead at Picnic Health, a patient-centric, real-world data company. We're talking about what real-world data and real-world evidence is and demystifying the use of health data for health research. So uh, I'm Evelyn, and and I currently work as evidence strategy lead at Picnic Health. Um, and yeah, what evidence strategy lead really is thinking about how we, as any health technology and real world data company can really meet the needs of our research partners, um, who are using real world data to generate evidence. Um, and so, and yeah, with that, happy to dive in a little bit more about what picnic health is, or we can cover that in a second, but, um, yeah. And when I'm not wearing that hat, I feel very lucky to get to wear a couple different hats. Um, uh, when I, in my free time, wherever that exists. I'm, I'm doing a uh, part-time PhD um, where I get to focus, go really deep dive into some of the areas I'm excited about in the real world data space and around digital health and um, wearable technology, uh, but all still around real world data. Um, and then, yeah, and outside of that, I mean, very, really excited to be on this podcast because I just think uh, all of us, whether we're patients or caregivers or no patients and caregivers, like can really um, see the importance of having these conversations. And so I feel like that's also as much as it's not a work hat, it's like a hat I try and always, or a lens I always try and think, um, yeah, think about these topics through. Yeah, that's awesome. We're so happy to have you on the podcast. I didn't realize you're working on your PhD. That's exciting also. Um, You've mentioned real world data a couple of times. I would love to dig into what that means, but first maybe you can give us like a flyover of what Picnic Health does and is um, to sort of frame up the conversation. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, it's like almost, um, you can't really describe one without the other. So it makes sense to tackle both together. Um, Picnic Health, uh, in brief, is a company that was really founded um, because our our CEO and co-founder herself experienced uh, uh, illness, a chronic illness. And it really, it's only until you're in that position, I think people realize just how challenging it is to not just feel like a sense of ownership and control over your own journey, but just know like, where is my information and like, how do I find it and bring it all together in a way so that it helps me navigate the system better. And so Picnic Health was like birthed out of that recognition of that challenge and how it's not, wasn't just facing her, it was facing many other uh, patients. And so Picnic Health began as this platform where we essentially go out and get patients signed onto this platform where we can collect all their medical records on their behalf with their consent, put it back into like a convenient digitally enabled platform for them to use. And so they have this timeline of care, you know, what visits they've had, you know, prescriptions they've received, um, as well as as a platform to monitor forward looking in time. So prospectively, um, an opportunity to measure things like patient reported outcomes that I'm sure we'll get into. So with that, just you know, being a originally kind of rare disease focused company, because there's just so much need there to collect 
to bring people's patient data together because it exists across so many providers. Um, but we've really grown into um, not just a patient platform, but also a research platform. Um, lots of patients are really interested in participating in research, but just don't know how. And of course, lots of researchers and companies are you know, really making do with what they have in terms of real world data that's available. And so to be able to bring those interested parties together in a way that the patient themselves has control over that switch of like how their data gets to be used and when um, is really exciting and kind of, and, and what really struck, struck me when I came across Picnic Health and why I wanted to join the company. Yeah, thanks. That's a great flyover. And I'm glad you sort of touched on like patients having control over being able to switch on what their data is used for, because I think that's probably a big question. And I think we'll get into some of the like privacy concerns around how yeah. health data is used. Before we get there, I'm hoping at a high level, you can talk about, you know, how, what are some of the different ways that data is used for health research? Yeah, yeah, happy to. Like at the big, like the highest level, like we can think about health research in two general buckets. We have the uh, clinical trials, like the interventional space where, you know, the, the way in which and how much and in what conditions patients receive medication or other therapies is like heavily controlled. And it's, and it's in a, um, often patients are randomized to one treatment or another. And that is of course, um, a big important space and, you know, uh, patients themselves that listening to this podcast may have been part of trials themselves. And, um, can understand what that looks like. And then there's kind of everything else outside of trials. So just all of us, as we go about our lives, uh, receiving care, talking to providers, uh, having appointments, all of that is also healthcare data. And we can think about broadly that as like non-interventional research or, observ or observation, not interventional or observational research, because researchers are not uh, controlling all of these factors in the environment. They're simply observing what's happening and trying to understand and answer questions that they have from that information. And so real world data and evidence, which I'm sure we'll get into more, is falls more so into that latter bucket. Um, so it's outside of traditional clinical trials. Yeah, thanks. And I think um, to, you just mentioned it, but to break this down for people listening, can you talk about the difference between real world data and real world evidence and what those two words mean? Yeah, yeah, happy to. Like, so real world data, we can think of it um, as basically anything outside the context of a traditional randomized controlled trial. And so real world data, the definition has continued to evolve as there's more and more ways to collect data, you know, digitally from health records. Um, you know, real world data will include things like uh, registries, lab data, test results, um, even things like social media data, really like the ways that we talk and, and um, discuss our health are really um, endless. But then where real world evidence, you know, the difference between there is we're taking the data, there's a defined research question we have about that information. And then we're doing some sort of advanced analytics or uh, we're answering that question through some methods. And the output of that is then the real world evidence. So they're often used interchangeably, but the subtle nuance there is the data is kind of like the source, what we're talking about um, and what we're sourcing at the outset. And the real world evidence is kind of then how that's being applied to different use cases. And um, I think that, yeah, the, the real world evidence space is really kind of in the research world and in the world of industry is really um, exploded over the last, you know, five to 10 years as there's more recognition that 
we can't just rely on these controlled environments and trial settings to inform us what a patient's life is like. There's so many things that are uncontrollable factors that impact whether someone's going to do well in on a treatment or not do well. Yeah, that's super helpful um, and makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's exciting to see this kind of work being done. Um, I'm wondering, you know, what are some of the challenges that exist uh, with collecting and analyzing real world data for health research? Yeah, like just like randomized controlled trials have their own challenges, um, so does any type of uh, real world data approach. Um, we can kind of think that like no single source of data is perfect. Um, and the more that we can bring them together, like there's greater value um, for patients and for research that we can get from the data. But some core challenges that exist for patients and for researchers broadly when we think about real world data space is um, data access. Uh, a lot of real world data um, is generated through the normal course of care provision. Like we have, you know, you think about um, claims data. So a data point generated from uh, a prescription being filled um, or a, a visit. Those are all data that helps make the health system work. Like they're gears in our healthcare system. They're not necessarily designed for researchers or patients to access them. They're kind of part of this system and this machine. So access can be challenging in some cases. Um, often silos exist. So whether that's silos across geographies, like you move across the country and now you have a different um, healthcare system you're kind of existing within. Um, that can also just be in terms of types of providers and those systems not talking to each other. Um, and challenges with completeness that come with that. If we have all these siloed systems and they're not talking to each other, if one provider or one researcher looks at just one of those data sources, they're not necessarily gonna get the whole picture of your health experience. Um, and other common challenges are things like data quality. Um, these are much more on the research side challenges, um, things like confounding. So that's, you know, are, are the things we're seeing a result of what we think we're measuring or the result of something else? So. Um, you know, a factor of like where people live, for instance, versus the care they're receiving. Um, and then uh, also within specific types of real world data, we might have missing information or uncoded information. So um, patients uh, might find that like their disease is so rare or a newly identified subtype of an illness, that there's not actually a diagnosis code that exists right now in the, in the systems that we have. And so it can be challenging to actually find that sort of information buried within a record. Um, and then finally, and kind of an area that I think ties nicely to the core of what Picnic Health does is that within a health record, we have all these structured components. We have, um, you know, diagnosis, we have dates, we have things that are, you can think of them as kind of, um, like that information's either there or it's not type of fields. And then we have all of the unstructured information. So that's like, if you or I were in a healthcare visit and this dialogue is written down in clinicians' notes, there's so much rich information there that can tell you a lot about what's going on with the patient. And um, unfortunately, many sources of data don't tap into that unstructured text. Um, it's challenging. You know, it's, it's a ton of work to go through. And so um, that's kind of a core part of, of what Picnic Health does is that we leverage um, clinical instructors as well as machine learning technology for efficiencies to be able to look at all that unstructured text and say like, 
what are we what are we able to capture about this person's care journey, whether it's symptoms they're experiencing, outcomes, things like that. And so, um, yeah, it, it really uh, pro- really fills a gap that I think exists in the real world data space today. Yeah, that's super interesting. This question might be, uh, well, I don't think it's naive because I don't know, but I don't know what the actual question is, but all of this like unstructured data that you're using humans and machine learning to look at, is there a way to structure that? Like, how do you look at it then sort of consistently as you gather more and more data? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like, I think of it as like the the powerhouse behind Picnic Health is all of these brilliant uh machine learning engineers, data scientists, clinical abstractors that together have created these systems that, um, well, we're not at the stage of like technology where we want to rely on full automation. It's, you know, series of complex uh, rules that essentially say like, if we see these mentions of these words in combination and in these contexts, and it's like layers of almost, you can think of search rules we can get with like really high level accuracy and efficiency to these um, clinical con- concepts that we really want to get at. So rather than it taking, you know, three years to figure out if this group of 100 patients, what we're seeing in terms of a particular outcome, it creates both efficiency and just find stuff that we wouldn't have seen before. So a good example of the nuance to it and why it's hard to, you know, describe in a sentence is like we think about um, a patient coming in and talking about uh, a drug that they, their friend or colleague is on. We wouldn't want a system where like it picks up that keyword of a treatment and says, oh, that patient is on that treatment. It's simply like in conversation, it's brought up. So it exists in the record. And so it's really teasing apart all the nuance of like, did this symptom or outcome happen? Or is it being talked about? And Or, or is there a sim- similar word that's being drawn from it? And so all of that... Um, nuance can really only happen when you have like the best of machine learning and the best of people thinking about it. Um, and we're, as opposed to relying just on one or just on the other, because both have their, their flaws. Yeah. Thanks. That's helpful. Um, that's super interesting. What, what you guys are doing at picnic. Um, you have talked about some of the challenges of using this kind of, or collecting this kind of data. You also talked about, you know, the benefits of real world data, um, as opposed to like a controlled lab environment or something. Is there anything else, like any other benefits to using real world data for health research? Yeah, definitely. Like one of the kind of concepts people might have heard before or may, may or may not, but certainly it's um, used in like the research world a lot is like this efficacy effectiveness gap. And so you think of efficacy as like, does the treatment work? in a highly controlled setting, like a trial. And effectiveness, we can think of more as, does the treatment work in the real world? And so the gap that exists is, we, we want to make sure that there's not a gap between what we're able to see in a controlled setting and the real world. And the only way to really unpack that and see if it exists is to leverage real world data. And so we think about, uh, you know, diverse representation in trials, for instance, like we know that unfortunately clinical trials, they're going to, you know, fairly largely and systematically underrepresent certain groups, whether it's uh, based on age, um, uh, age, sex, 
uh, ethnicity, race, like there's a number of factors that we just know, unfortunately, there's barriers to participating in clinical trials. And so to be able to look more passively at what's happening in the real world creates more representative of the U.S. population type research. Um, the results of that research can then be more generalizable um, and used by clinicians to make decisions um, and, and really just consider like non-ideal conditions that many people live in where um, all of the social determinants of health, so um, socioeconomic status and geography and remote and rural versus urban, like all of these things impact our care. And so uh, the more that we're able to leverage data and looking at real environments, the better, I, I think, the better research that we're able to, to, um, to do. And, and honestly, it, without that, I think patients and caregivers themselves can't really see themselves in the research that is being done in trials alone. Yeah, thanks. That's helpful. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm still getting over this, uh, this <laughs> frog. Um, I've seen data described as like patient-centric, patient-mediated, uh, or patient-generated. Can you talk about the what those words mean and the difference between each of these types of data? Yeah, yeah, happy to. And patient-centric, um, probably the one we, we hear most often, um, like the name suggests, it's about all the various meaningful ways we can put patients at the center of uh, their care or, or or their research or their health data. And unfortunately, it's a really overused term. And so it can be really confusing, um, not just for any patient anywhere, but also for folks navigating this research environment. And and unfortunately, the more a word is used, the more it can be watered down. And so sometimes it's used to just describe anything that might indirectly, you know, arm's length touch a patient. But we try to be quite specific when we use it. We're at Picnic Health. We're talking about like end-to-end, -end, very purposeful practices that involve the patient. And so I can kind of, in order of, of how they happen with our platform, kind of walk through what that looks like for in terms of patient centricity. So we can think about patient-centric engagement. So like really having a targeted, not one size fits all approach to like engaging patients in their communities when we want them to be aware of a platform um, like a picnic health or givers um, and really like targeting that engagement to people themselves. Um, we can talk about like patient centric um, sign up. So making it really easy for people to sign up for a platform, not creating unnecessary burden and forms um, and being really transparent about what people are signing up to. Um, we think about like benefit to patients is also patient-centric. So providing not just taking anything from them in terms of time or information, but, but being really purposeful about that data or these benefits of a picnic platform being provided back to the patients themselves, um, as well as we think about like collection of things like patient reported outcomes, um, we want to really best, like robust, regular data collection where we might be asking a question, like a survey question to a patient with like, is this creating a necessary additional burden? Like, do we need to ask this question in a survey monthly or can it be, you know, annually? Things like that are just like all thought processes around patient's interest that we keep in mind. And the difference, which they're all related, these terms you mentioned, but patient mediated and patient-generated means slightly different and more specific things than patient-centric. So patient-mediated, we're talking about, um, and I'll give Picnic Health as an example, that we get consent directly from patients to then go out and gather their data. Um, 
difference from that and most other types of research is that people's de-identified uh, health data just exists in these systems and researchers and authorized institutions, you know, for good reason um, to improve care and everything are able to access that data in an aggregate way. But we're explicitly taking the approach of like, who's the center of all of these points of care? Who can tell us where they've been? It's the patient. We're going to start from there from square one. And they're going to kind of be that, like we said at the beginning, like that switch, that mediator to whether this data can be collected or not. Um, and then the, you know, the last point, so around patient-generated data, that's when we use that, we're more talking about um, technically all of this data is generated from patients somewhere, but like directly patient-generated would be these things like um, electronic surveys, so these patient-reported outcomes, whether that's um, on their device or computer um, or in person, like patients are the ones kind of generating that information. It's not from the uh, clinician recording it. It's not from a researcher recording it from some observation. It's generated by patients themselves. Um, and so all of those, yeah, all of our, fav our favorite terms, but it is, it's so useful to be able to tease apart what they mean if you're a patient or caregiver and you're deciding which, what app to sign up for, what platform to sign up for to really know what these, um, what these words mean. Yeah, I think this education is super helpful. And I think, you know, you've talked about it a couple of times, but I, there's, I think there's mistrust in our medical system, like largely speaking, and there's a hesitancy to share your information. Um, and I'm excited about how Picnic is like empowering patients to share their health data in a safe way. But I'm hoping you could talk a little bit more about um, like how can patients know or caregivers of patients know that their health data is going to be used in a responsible way and what kind of processes are, you know, in place uh, to ensure privacy and protection. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, I think one of the most, um, I should start off by saying that like all of those fears and things are, are founded fears, right? Like, I think it's really easy, um, for any of us like working in an industry where we see all the protections and we see behind the curtain to say, there's nothing to, you know, there's never nothing to worry about. But I think the reality is like, it's, it's, um, founded. And I think all of us like have had moments, whether or not we're talking about, our health data or financial data where we go, oh, I didn't know that folks had access to that, whether it's just like the marketing that we receive when we're talking, you know, when we're searching something on Google. So it's very founded concerns. And, but I think what's great is that we're at this stage now um, in, in terms of privacy protections, but there's really like, there's not an excuse for, for um, not protecting that information. We have like in, in the U.S., there is laws that exist like HIPAA. So that's the Health Information Portability and Accountability Act, um, which are explicitly regulate how these protected health information need to be protected to ensure privacy. So we have a strong baseline of like in our laws, this information is protected. But of course, within that, there's then spectrums of what that protection looks like. And so if we think about um, the work that we do, health data, of course, um, like financial data is like very, very sensitive. There can be information that's not just um, you wouldn't want someone to know, but can identify you as a person, um, identifiable health identifiers um, folks might have heard. And so that can be something as obvious as like your name and your health record to, you know, uh, your address to social security number and all the like, you know, we wouldn't want anyone to have those pieces of info when they're looking at our data down to all of the um information that is on its own, maybe not going to identify you, but in combination, you wouldn't want someone having a combination of, you know, the town you live in and your diagnosis, 
um, and you know your email address, like all of these things together are identifiable. And so the approach that needs to be taken with health information um, and sensitive information like health status, healthcare, there's like additional protections around medical data as there should be. And so for, if I think about what Picnic Health does, it's like a really um, comprehensive approach to privacy. And so uh, if we think about identifiability, um, we need to remove those really highly identifiable pieces of information before anything that that's going to be used for research. We also need to then kind of pressure test our own system of de-identifying, so de-identification by doing a re-identification of risk assessment. So basically pressure test our own system to see after we've removed all of these kind of pieces of data that make us the most nervous, how do we then make sure that no combination of the remaining data um, is going to identify a person? And so it's these layers of kind of de-identifying and pressure testing that create this really, um, you know, uh, protected private uh, set of data. And and at the core of that is principles of like, for research, we don't we shouldn't be ever sharing anything that people don't need to use. There's, if if a question is about does this treatment have this these side effects in a patient group? There's so many pieces of information that simply don't need to be shared. And so hot, taking that really like what's necessary for um, for research versus what adds potential risk for a patient is um, is really important. But with all of that, I think because Picnic Health is a platform that not just serves researchers, that first and foremost serves patients, of course, identifiable information is hugely useful for patients themselves to have their own records and make sure that what they're seeing is their information. And if they want for their providers to also know that this is the information that they're bringing to them, that maybe 10 years ago, they had this diagnosis or this visit and that it's theirs. And so being able to um, bring together individual patient information, but then when we're working at a collection of patients, take a very different approach and like, and be really, um, systematic about how we de-identify and protect that information. I think it's really um, a key part of, of anyone working in this space, what they're doing. And patients, I feel like should always be, feel patients and caregivers should always be empowered to like ask questions of these systems because uh, the answer should be there. And if they're, if they're not there for any system, I think that's also uh, can inform someone's gut feeling about whether the right privacy protections are in place and whether companies are adhering to the right rules. Yeah, I mean, you led me right into my next question, which is like, how can people feel empowered to control their own health data? And what should they be looking for? I guess, you know, to your point, if in this scenario, what should they be looking for to know that their data is safe? Yeah, I think really important is like, are they getting the opportunity to consent to things? And is that consent really clear? Um, and again, like if it's not clear, there should be a channel with which they can ask questions. Um, and so being able to be like, I'm consenting and I know that my information will be used for, uh, let's say X research project, but it's not going to be shared with others, third party groups and, and having that distinction clear, I think is really important. Um, I think it can be really helpful to talk to other patients or caregivers who have used a platform before. So oftentimes like we have, um, kind of, uh, change champions. So folks that have or, you know, had experience with our platform who have a particular um, condition and can kind of speak to their experience using it. And so it's, I feel like it's useful to engage with those groups because there's always going to be greater trust there than 
um, than elsewhere. And I think, I guess when I think about empowerment over health data, I always think about, and I'm making a lot of like comparisons, the financial comparisons, like givers platform, but I always would hear growing up, you know, make your, like, make your money work for you. You got to make, you know, you got to make, you got to make it work for you. You can't just have, you can't just sit there. And I always thought it was interesting that we don't expect as much out of our health data. We, we do just, it exists out there in the world and we're not really taught, um, to like take hold of it and get the most you can out of it. And, um, to this day, I think there's pieces of information I don't know about, about my own health, right. Cause it's just sits somewhere. And so I think just being aware of, of what is in place that enables you to, to feel ownership, like legally this data is yours. Um, and, and knowing that it can benefit you in the day to day, but it can also benefit you in terms of if you feel like giving back, um, to the community and being a part of research, it's all within your control. And so just, um, being folks to be aware of that choice, I think can be quite empowering. Um, and, and, and the same goes for caregivers. Like, I think it, there's just often, um, it's, it's not made aware to people often that they can be part of this and really like champion, um, their own health data and use it how they choose. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, you've just touched on a, a big problem. I think a lot of people don't know, don't know this. I think the whole system, the whole healthcare system is like overwhelming and confusing and you go to one doctor and you go to the next doctor and all your information is just out there. You don't know what's being done with it. We also don't know you have control over it. So I think what you've just said is like really important for people to hear. Um, and then I guess sort of the, the follow-up question is like, we're talking about people sharing their health data for research um, and that benefits like the, you know, the, the greater good, but also in what ways does participating in health research benefit patients or caregivers individually? Yeah, I think, I mean, whether you're a patient or a caregiver, I, th I think like thinking of really like each of our own experiences, trying to track down something and like how, like not just painful and, and, and time consuming that can be, but like really how it can get in the way of um, your care journey. If you know, you're missing a key piece of information about something as, as simple as like what medications you're allergic to, what your blood type is. Um, when was that last visit I had? And when I, did I do that last test? And it's, even stuff as simple as that for non-complex conditions. And so you can only imagine just like the layers of that. If you do have something that's chronic or complex and you're seeing a lot of providers, I can only imagine how much that is amplified. Um, and so I think of course, like to make your life easier, like these, uh, your data can really make your life easier and can support the care that you're being provided today. Um, and I think the same goes for caregivers. Like I think we really, um, and health research, I think has come a long way, but still has a long way to go. And just recognizing the value that comes from not just serving patients or collecting patient reported outcomes, but collecting caregiver reported outcomes, because they're there seeing so much that the healthcare system doesn't see or that the provider doesn't see. And so just to be able both for own day-to-day -day use, but recognizing that if you scale that amongst hundreds or thousands of patients, we're actually going to be able to better answer questions. And those, like those research questions are then translated into policy and practice. And like the scale of it is, is huge. If we, if we can trust the data that we're getting and, and that really starts from pay, I, I believe with patients and caregivers, um, and trusting the data that they provide. 
Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about Picnic Health and just like how this data collection happens? Like if I want to start with Picnic Health and get all of my information in one place, like what's the, what is this like? What's this process like? Yeah. So it's um, pretty easy to to go onto um, our website online um, on your device and sign up. It's like a, you know, a five minute sign up, um, which basically allows you to indicate also your, your, your name information. Um, and you can identify to kind of get the process going uh, providers, care sites that you've been to. And so with those initial, I'd like to sign up, I'd like to consent to being on this platform. You can then point, uh, if you think of Picnic Health as kind of like has the, um, as your support to like going out and doing all the lifting of gathering that information, it's useful to have a good place to start. So it could be recent providers, anything that, um, uh, any like recent care you've received, and then we can go out and we start kind of to build that timeline of care. And I will say it can be hard for, for all of us, especially too, if you see a lot of providers to remember all of that. So we don't, thankfully, we don't need to rely on patients providing a full history of where they've been seen to gather that data. Because the great thing about, you know, deep unstructured text and, and structured text and health records is that it provides a little bit of a roadmap for us to then be like, oh, we see a mention here that you were also seen or got a test elsewhere. And so you can think of it as connecting the dots from that initial source of information. Um, and for some for some patients who sign up to our platform, we have certain um, uh, research cohorts. So around specific diseases where uh, there's real unmet need in terms of research and, and an interest both from researchers side of things and from the patient side of things to be part of something like this. Um, we have certain cohorts where patients go to our site, you see a disease cohort that uh, is an area that you have um, as a caregiver or patient experience in, you can sign up into that research platform as well. And so you're getting the same experience of the Picnic Health timeline and getting your records in your um, in an easy, accessible way, but you're also then contributing to this research cohort and, and each of those um, uh, sites people can read a little bit more about. And so uh, definitely encourage people to check out um, the areas where we're doing research today, you know, see what other patients are saying um, on our website and, uh, and and see if it's it's for you and, and ask questions. I think that's, it's important to keep doing that. Yeah, that's super helpful. And I, I guess one of my questions was going to be, you know, I think this is true of many millennials. It's like, we don't necessarily have a PCP, you like sign up for someone on ZocDoc and then you see a different provider. Um, so my question was going to be, you know, if you can't remember everywhere you've been or, you know, you saw someone in between someone, it's interesting that Picnic's able to sort of like follow this roadmap and, and track down your data that way. Um, my last question for you is around, so like I sign up for Picnic, I'm in for, you know, sharing my data and, and participating in health research. What are some of the ways that findings from health research can then be translated into practice? Like what happens next with this information? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's really, um, it's, it's, it's wild uh, to know just how much comes from health data and research and from being kind of on the side, like the research side of things and being, um, you know, prior to picnic on teams that are using this data, like it can be used for anything from um, initial drug approvals and ensuring like access in a given region um, or by a given payer is granted for patients. So, so not just clinical trial data is being used to make these decisions, but increasingly real world evidence um, is being considered. And so we think about from the 
you know, is the drug going to be available in our market? You know, are our payers going is going to be covered? Um, and also like who is it going to be available to? So if you're a, 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 from a a group where you have a particular rare disease subtype of a disease, maybe you're not included on the label for that drug. And research, um, a lot of real world evidence can contribute to saying, is this safe and effective in your population that wasn't covered in that trial? And so, yeah, anything from subtypes, I think about, um, you know, any work in uh, pregnancy registries are a good example, you know, uh, pregnant women um, or, or people of a childbearing age sometimes are not included in trials. And so as a whole, each of these areas represent like huge um, domains of research where really real world evidence is going to decide whether or not um, this is safe and effective um, and what the outcomes are for patients. And then also long-term, you know, research studies that have a defined beginning, middle and end can only tell us so much about time period. But for many people with progressive neurodegenerative conditions, it's, you know, you're seeing the effects over really long periods of time. And so some of this work is simply like, is pivotal in just telling us, understanding the progression of disease. And, and for many of these conditions where we just, we still don't have a cure, we don't have treatments, being able to study patients over long periods of time in a way that doesn't create burden for them can be, can tell us, it can, can lead to new information that can lead to treatments. And so it really is like at every stage of the, um, I would say like drug development process and like every type of kind of health health research in this space, there's a way that real world evidence is being used. And, um, and it's, it's really exciting. It's yeah. That's, that's why I love working in this space is because there's like a direct cause and effect for the type of work that we do and, and, and having good data means we'll have good outcomes for that research. Yeah, this is awesome. I mean, you've shared so much information and sort of like peeled back the or pulled back the the curtain or the veil of, you know, using health data for research. Um, is there anything else that we've, you know, missed or that you want to just like leave us with um, about things people should know? I mean, I their, feel like about yeah, this data? is great. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed this. And like, I would love to just leave with like thanking you for like this platform you've created. It's um for many reasons, I feel like it's so, so important. And like, I feel like I'm sure like many people you have on your show, like it hits home so much. Like, uh, you know, I grandmother with Alzheimer's, grandfather's a caregiver for many years. Like it's very real. And, um, and yeah, I think it's just, I'm just so glad that, that groups like yours exist as well, that like address very specific needs that aren't being met elsewhere. Like it really, um, so thank you. That's my last, my last ask is just thank you. <laughs> for that yeah thank you thank you we um are are glad to have this platform and hope to you know be bringing value to people um if people want to find more about picnic health or you where can they go online yeah uh picnichealth.com will be a great place to start um and yeah that you'll be able to kind of peruse what um more about what our offering looks like. People can see what the platform itself looks and feels like there um, and see and, and read more about some of the great research we're doing as well. So whatever, you know, whatever part of, of the Picnic Health platform really interests you, you're able to, to find it there. Yeah, that's awesome. If I'm not mistaken, I was on the website a while ago, but I think there's like an example of what your data might look like when yeah. it's all collected, which I think is, you know, helpful to sort of see a, a peak of what you're signing up for. Yeah, um, 
Evelyn, this has been so insightful. I really appreciate your time. Um, and we'll be sure to tag Picnic, you know, once it's posted and live. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. That's it from this episode of the Cost of Caring podcast presented by Givers. See you next time.